This weekend at Keystone Church, we continued in our series as Pastor Brandon Thomas led us through a pinnacle moment in the life of Joseph. We learned through Joseph's experience that when we face the people, emotions, and even regrets of our past with God, we are able to reach our full God-given potential. Enjoy the message. Here we are today, and uh, as I was thinking about this message, thinking about this weekend, um, my mind went to wrinkles, okay? <laughs> wrinkles. And wrink, wrink, I hear laughter because some of y'all are running away from wrinkles. One injection at a time. <laughs> hey, don't be shocked. One of these days I'm going to come up here all stiff-faced. You know I'm going to do it. You know I'm going to do it. But <laughs> I'm sorry, my filter is gone. This is the fourth message in one week, so uh, I'm a little loose today, but no. Um, wrinkles tell a story, right? They kind of tell the story of life, so it said. That when you see the lines, maybe you see the laughter, right? When you see the lines, sometimes you see hard, hard moments in your life, tough seasons. And it said that show me your wrinkles, I'll show you your story. Because it's not always about how long you've lived. Sometimes it's about the weight of the miles that you have traveled. And some of us, we have walked some heavy, heavy miles, right? I mean, there have been some heavy miles in this room. I know a lot of stories in this room. And I know there's a lot of heavy miles in this room. We're, we're addressing a character today I considered one of the top ten characters in the Bible. We've been walking through the life and the story of Joseph. And where we find ourselves today in the story, we, we, we initially met Joseph when he was 17 years old. Today... He's 39 years old-ish. Somewhere around 39 years old, Joseph has gone through a lot of hardship, and now he finally has broken through, and he is in charge. He is at the right hand of Pharaoh himself in Egypt, and he is in charge. And what we know about Joseph is that up to this moment, he was not an overnight success, and he didn't have an easy path to this power that he yields right now, even just the young, young age. Can you imagine having all that power at 30, not even cracking 40, at 39 years old? But if you could look at the face of Joseph, you would see that there were a lot of miles on that face. There's a lot of miles on his body that he has carried. And that's just a fact. You know, even archaeologists, this is crazy, this is brand new discovery. Archaeologists have uncovered an image in Egypt, an image of the face of 39-year-old Joseph. It's shocking. They finally uncovered it. Yeah, did you not see it? Well, I've, I've got the, this is what they found in the ancient ruins. 39-year-old Joseph right there. Can't you take a joke? Those of you are like, wow, that looks very vivid. No, that, that's not from there. That's a joke. But anyway, the point is that I'll never tell this joke again. <laughs> Botox ain't going to save that dude. But anyway, but the lines in your life, right? Joseph had some lines. Joseph had some struggles, and Joseph had a story. 
And here today we see that Joseph faces his past. Genesis chapter 42. Genesis 42 verse 1, when Jacob, now that's Joseph's dad. When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, he said to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? And a lot is happening even right there because the story up till this point has been about Joseph being betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, dysfunctional family. I mean, really jacked up family. And this is supposed to be the family that carries the name of God. And it is a super dysfunctional family and it is messed up. And these brothers sell their brother Joseph into slavery. He's sold into slavery where he thrives despite it all. And yet then he's betrayed, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of making advances on her, which he did not do. And then what happens next? He's put in prison for years. He's in prison. He's forgotten. They threw away the key. And then through a, a, a mighty act of God, He rose to power, got out of prison, and is standing at the right hand of Pharaoh and navigating through a famine. God had given him the wisdom and the vision to navigate through a a famine. And in this moment, as we read Jacob saying this, going back to it, Jacob heard that grain was available. There's a massive famine even in Canaan, even in Israel. What would one day be Israel? When he heard that the grain was in Egypt, he said to his son, why are you standing around looking at each other? Now, when I first read that quickly, I was like, oh, that's funny. You know, because I like to read the Bible and put myself there. Why are you all standing around looking at each other? But the truth is, as I thought about it and I thought about the story, it's actually super broken. That two decades have passed and still there's dysfunction between the father and the sons. He's critical and they're without purpose, and it's just a messed up moment. It's just a reminder, this family is messed up. Verse two, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive, otherwise we'll die. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. And here we see a, a, a pain point. Jacob. So Joseph was the apple of his father's eye, Jacob's favorite, which is broken. You shouldn't have favorites. If y'all joke, oh, you're my favorite, please stop that. Okay. Please stop that. Stop it right now. If they're two and they don't know, just stop right now before they get dysfunction all laid up inside of them. All right. And Jacob, here we see brokenness continued. He has taken the favoritism of Joseph and he has put it on Benjamin. If you don't deal with the sinful patterns in your life, you will propagate it into the next relationship, the next marriage, the next friendship group, the next church you leave this one to go to. If you do not deal with the patterns in your life, you will continue to repeat them. Okay? There's so much here. Powerful. Wouldn't let them go. Verse five, so Jacob's sons, minus Benjamin, arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food for the famine was in Canaan as well. Since Joseph was governor over all of Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. And when they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. And here, as for those of us that have been a part of the journey since week one, we know this is the fulfillment of the original dream that kicked this whole thing off 
that Joseph had a dream that his, fathers, that his brothers would one day bow before him, which is an awkward dream to share. And truly, if you could get inside a 17-year-old's mind and, and fix their frontal cortex, whatever it's called, he wouldn't have shared that so easily with his brothers because it bred a lot of discontent and jealousy. And, but he shared it, just broken teenager. And this vision now is becoming a reality, and it's painful to read, really, because I'm convinced that God's vision, God's destiny for uh, the brothers and for Joseph was that this would be uh, fulfilled, but maybe without all the pain. Maybe if the brothers could say, hey, is God speaking through you to me? But they couldn't receive the message from God because they would not hear his, mes his messenger. And all that pain could have been avoided if they would just receive God's hard words for them. Hard words, that your younger brother's gonna be the leader. And they just couldn't take it. They couldn't take that. And here they are fulfilling the vision, the original vision that kicked the whole story off. So, verse nine, and he, Joseph, he remembered the dreams he'd had about them many years before. And he said to them, you are spies. And you have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed, your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family, and we are honest men, sir. We are not spies. Boy, those words must have stung, just really stung the heart of Joseph. No, we're not spies. We are honest men. We are men of integrity. Our family is supposed to carry the name of Yahweh, Elohim. We are, we are the carriers of the great goodness of, of the one true God. We are men of integrity, says the brothers to the brother that they sold into slavery. Have you ever heard somebody like, somebody has hurt you deeply and you know kind of the story behind the story and someone else is talking about them. They're like, oh, they're the best person. They have such character. They're the godliest person I know. And you're like, hmm, man, I'm just, well, if you knew what I knew, right? Are we just keeping it real? If you knew what I knew and Joseph knew, we are men of integrity. We are honest men. Hmm. That's hard. We are not spies. Yes, you are, <laughs> Joseph insisted. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, sons of a man living in the land of Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. And Joseph's thinking, oh, he's with you. <laughs> he's with you right now. Mm. Again, just the pain of this conversation. Like it, don't just read the Bible mindlessly. The pain of this conversation for Joseph. The fear they feel, because they're getting ringed out by this governor of Egypt that holds the keys to the meeting, but the pain that Joseph was feeling. But Joseph insisted, as I said, you are spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know that you are spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. Now, there's something happening here that I'm going to 
share with you what Joseph's up to. But when you read in the Old Testament or anywhere in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament before Jesus was born, when you read things that kind of tip a flag that that sounds like a story that I've read in the New Testament, it kind of sounds like something that I've heard about the life of Jesus, then ding, 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 you need to pay attention. And when he puts the brothers in prison for three days, prophetically, supernaturally, what the Holy Spirit was doing, preserved for all time for our good, what God is trying to show us is that those brothers filled with guilt were put in prison for their shame. And understand this, that Jesus went three days into prison for your guilt of sin and shame. And you're to be reminded of that and to see this happening. And on the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go home with grain for your starving families, but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you are telling the truth and you will not die. To this, they agreed. The title of today's message is this, Facing Your Past. Joseph literally, literally was facing his past. Facing his past. We're kicking off a section of scripture. We're halfway through the story of Joseph. We're kicking off a section of scripture here that we're going to settle in right now talking about our past. And some of the big themes that we'll be navigating are forgiveness, justice, healing, and freedom, and it'll at least take us into next week, and then we'll just see where we go from there in the life, and we'll continue, but if you're going to face your past, it all begins with facing the people from your past. That's exactly what Joseph was doing. He was literally face to face with the people from his past, and it caused pain. It would cause pain for any of us. There is pain in this room from people in our past. We need to face that pain, the pain that was deposited or created by a parent, the pain that was created by siblings, the pain that has been created by a friend, a pain that has been created by a spouse, a pain that was created by the rejection, romantic rejection, the pain that has been created by a coworker or an authority figure in your life. We have pain in this room. We know this. We have pain. And if you want to move forward to your great God-given potential, you must first face the faces that created pain. 99.9% of the pain we have in this room has a face attached to it. Now, as I was preparing for this message, I was talking to someone who deals with people in pain. This person said, now remember, Brandon, even in the church, remember, that when you speak about the pain that people cause, know this, that statistics tell us, they said, that one in four women that you'll be speaking to have been sexually abused. And one in six men in the room have been sexually abused. So the minute you go there, understand the waters that you're walking into. So yes, pain comes in many different sizes and shapes. Pain could be you getting fired unjustly. It could be all kinds of different things. 
but I realize that there's some pain in this room that is heavy duty, hard stuff. We're not going to gloss it over. We're not going to duck it or dodge it. I believe in this series that there is some heavy duty machinery that God is moving toward you to give you healing, hope, and freedom today if you haven't already begun to, to feel it. If you've already begun to experience the healing that God has for you, we're going to take it even further in this series. This week, next week, we're not going to talk all about forgiveness today, but I do want to give you a few thoughts about forgiveness just to, just to begin to get you some footholds toward healing and help. And the, and the first thing about forgiveness is this, that one of the barriers for you to forgive people that have hurt you deeply, physical abuse or any other kind of pain that you would have, one of the barriers to you forgiving others is that you would say, well, what they did was wrong. And if I forgive them, then I'm almost like saying, it, oh, it's okay. But forgiveness is not you saying it's okay. Because it wasn't okay. It wasn't okay. And a barrier to us forgiving others is that we think, well, if I forgive them, then that means that that unlocks fellowship with them. Forgiveness does not equal fellowship. Let me help you with that too that Joseph was dealing with some very unsafe people here. These brothers were unsafe people. And if I've already mentioned this, just, I'm gonna say it again, but know this about Joseph. Joseph experienced massive abuse. Like we can almost say it, like, okay, so he was thrown into a pit, and then he was sold into slavery, and then he was put in prison. I mean, our minds never go, like, what if that was you? Like, and we'll read about this in a moment, where he was thrown into the pit, <clears throat> and who knows how he was injured at the bottom of that pit, but he was thrown into the pit, and he's calling out to his brothers, begging them to don't do this, don't do this. He's crying, he's 17 years old, he's not yet. I mean, he, the little boy is crying from the pit. And in the midst of the tears and all of that, the little boy crying out in fear, knowing what's coming next, the brothers on the other side of the pit sat there and ate their lunch and ignored his voices. These are not safe people. And though the abuse is not detailed in Joseph's life, we can only imagine the abuse that he endured. We know that there was the threat of sexual abuse by Potiphar's wife. We know that he resisted that sexual abuse and avoided that sexual abuse, which she then said he did sexually abuse her and falsely accused him and put him in prison. What we don't know is that, that, what we do know is that moment also gives us a clue that for slaves, sexual abuse would have been normative. And we know that through history. And it was an incredibly sexually charged environment. And what we know, what I believe, is it is likely, and we should almost assume, that slave Joseph had experienced all kinds of abuse, physical, sexual. And here he is face to face with the people who started the whole thing. These people are not safe people. These people are not good people. They're not honest people. Forgiveness does not equal fellowship. What Joseph is doing is he is being very careful with them. He's not immediately telling them who he is. He's even creating a little bit of a, 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 little bit of a series of tests 
that we'll go into over the next couple of weeks. He has a series of tests and he's going really slow. Notice he's asking about his little brother, Benjamin, who's not here. Why was he asking about Benjamin so much? Why was he so concerned about Benjamin? Because Benjamin is the only other brother of the mother they shared. Jacob had had four wives, which is jacked up right there. I mean, hello. Okay. And that's not a big, big love. I'm just saying. And like three people knew that reference. <laughs> but um, Jacob, with his wife, had Joseph and Benjamin. And jo- Joseph is only the last. I mean, he was 17 years old when he was still in slavery. And it was because his brothers were so jealous of the favoritism that he had. And so he could only assume that his biological brother probably suffered the same jealousy and abuse that he had suffered at the hands of his brothers. And so he wants to make sure Benjamin's even alive. So he has a test to get Benjamin to him to ensure his, uh, his safety. This is unbelievable. So he's doing it all with the care. But in the midst of finding out if Benjamin's alive, he's also creating a pathway for healing. A couple of other things, and then we'll move forward. A couple other things about healing and forgiveness is that if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, you're not just a person, you are a child of God. And what we're going to learn as we go forward the next couple weeks, you're going to learn that we don't view people and treat people the same way that everybody else treats people. We view people differently. And we have a different ability and power to handle forgiveness. And it's available to you. And you may not even know it. Also, Susan was sharing this to me. Susan has a 20-year counseling practice. And one of the things she said is so powerful in her practice in helping people that have been hurt by others is when you're wanting to wade into the waters of forgiveness, begin with the end game in mind. And the end game, you ready for this? The end game for you, for those who have hurt you, whether they fired you or whether they talk bad about you, the end game for you, you ready, is not justice. I want justice. I've been talked bad about. I know that's shocking. Why? You? But even lies, like liar, liar, pants on fire, you know where liars go, hell. And I know they will continue. You know, sometimes you can't get the justice that you deserve in this life. So if justice is your end game, you're you're eternally chained to 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 that problem, to that pain. Rather, let healing and freedom be your end game. Somebody with me right now? Let healing and freedom be your end game and let God have his justice. And if you're wondering if that justice is good, Romans 12, 17, the Bible says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. I like that part. Don't let... 
But don't let evil conquer you. That's what's happening when justice is your goal. Justice is from God, and it will happen. And you may even have some measure of justice on this earth, but let healing be. Conquer evil by doing good. There's a common quote, forgiveness doesn't make them right, but it sets me free. When I forgive them, I'm letting go of a debt. Matthew 5, 43, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is a new way to live. And if those words sound impossible, I get it. I get it. Hang with us the next couple of weeks. And I believe you'll emerge a different person. Joseph is being careful. He is navigating this. And in 42 verse 21, it continues. They said to one another, Now, at this point, they're still in the presence of Joseph, but they're no longer talking to Joseph. And what we're about to see is Joseph was speaking to them in Egyptian. They were speaking to Joseph in Hebrew. They didn't understand Egyptian language. But Joseph understood Hebrew. Okay? You got it? Here it is. So they're talking to one another, thinking that they can have like a conversation without him understanding what they're saying. Which is a great trick, okay? Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. It's like tombstone, right? Doc Holliday is a reckoning. There will be a reckoning mm, for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Then he turned away from them and wept, and he returned to them and spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey, and this was done for them. And, And here you see this is an emotionally charged moment. And when you have pain from your past, you've got to face the emotions that spring up from your past. Emotions are real. Here you see the emotions of the brothers, distress over what we've done. And they weren't obligated to talk about Joseph in his presence. They didn't know they were in Joseph's presence. But this guilt of their sin, and I'm convinced perhaps even unconfessed sin, but the guilt of their sin was still heavy upon them. And they felt that guilt, and the emotions were just coming out of that guilty status. And then you see with Joseph, who had no guilt in this relationship, Joseph is turning and weeping. This is an emotionally charged portion of the story. And you see later he weeps again, loudly, so that the the servants could hear him weeping from his own room. And I want to share with you that the goal of your spiritual life is not to be rid of emotions. But a part of the goal of your spiritual life should be that you have healthy emotions. And here you see the brothers having emotions that are toxic coming out of sin that's unconfessed. And here you see Joseph having emotions that are healthy coming from a person that has been healed. 
All these emotions springing up. Now, you may say, well, I've had some pain from my past and I'm not emotional at all. I'm good, man. I'm good. I've never shed a tear. I'm good. That's in the rear view. There's a bridge. I got over it. (laughs) And what I would say to you is you actually scare me more. And I want to warn you. I want to warn you. I want you to hear me. Because if there's no check engine light going off on the dashboard of your emotional soul, then you have stuffed so deeply that, that, that even your, your lights are not working. And if your lights aren't working, then how could you ever know you need to fix the engine? Well, let me be your light today. If you have pain from your past, you need help. If you have anything in your past, we all need help. And here we see these emotions springing up. One of the things that I want to do is I want to, I want to do, I want to bring back a series of messages that I did many years ago. Is that okay to re-preach a series? Is that okay? Um, I want to do a series of messages on the emotions that Jesus showed us. Jesus had all these emotions. I think I'll do it this fall where you walk through all the emotions. And what you know about Jesus is if Jesus showed us emotion, then it was the right way to do that emotion. Because he never sinned, he was not broken. So whenever you see Jesus showing emotion, that's the target for how we are to do emotions. But know this, that from the pain of our past or the sin that we've even committed, the emotion that comes up out of us, often we deal with emotions and respond to them in an unhealthy way. They're happening and we respond poorly. Here's some unhealthy responses to emotions. You medicate to try to stay away from those emotions. You medicate with, uh, you medicate with a substance like alcohol, which uh, should be a gift from God, but certainly it's no medication for your, for your pain. If you're in our culture, it's like, I need a drink. No, you don't need a drink. Okay, stop saying that. You should never need a drink. You need Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit of God. That's what you need in that moment. You don't need a drink. That drink doesn't know your name and didn't die for your sin, okay? You don't need a drink, okay? A drink should be a gift from God to be enjoyed God's way. If you can't enjoy it God's way, then let that gift go, okay? You don't need a drink. You comfort with God, not a substance or a pill or people who medicate with relationships, can't, can't be alone without that boyfriend, always hopping from one relationship to the next. We medicate with people, we medicate with friendships, medicate with the Lord of God. He'll heal your emotions. We get distracted with work, we get distracted with technology, we distract ourselves with gaming, we distract ourselves and we're trying to avoid the emotions that are hiding, waiting for us the minute we stop long enough to hear ourselves think. And we're distracting, we're trying to do anything but face that or we create enemies. You have these emotions and you want those emotions to have a target so you create an enemy. I'm so glad that Joseph didn't view his brothers as enemies. Isn't that amazing? He understood that they were threats. He understood that they were were not safe. But he did not immediately say, hey, I'm Joseph and you know what you did to me and you're going to pay for the rest of your life. I'm going to put you in slavery just like you put me in slavery. There's a pit right there and I have the power to do so. Rather... He saw them as threats and he was careful with them, but he did not enact the justice that was due to him in that moment. He was careful. We create enemies or we create approval gods. From these painful emotions, trying to outrun the negativity of our past, we try to get approval from other people to justify us, to to validate us. 
And so you're constantly running to other approval gods. You've created a God when really there's, you're made for one approval God, and that's God himself, the God of the Bible. So we do all these things to try to avoid these negative emotions, and, and what you got to know is God made you with emotions as part of the complexity of your nature, and we need to rediscover the emotions that God made us for, commit to a process. A, a year ago, just almost on the day, a year ago, last May, a year ago, it was May, last one year ago, my dad discovered he needed a heart bypass surgery. And, and those of you that were a part of Keystone a year ago, you remember us all journeying together through that, praying for him, and I thank you again for your prayers. And then him coming back and sharing the story. And, and the story was that, you know, my parents are, are hard-charging, high-motor people, okay? It's like, nap, Brandon, why do you need a nap? What's wrong with you? Why do you need a nap? That's the family I grew up in. That's my Jacob dysfunction right there. And he's right on the front row, and I called it out right there. And, um, but that, it, some of y'all grew up in that, and that's okay, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. out. And, and so he was like, you know, had this, he, he was like, went to go get his heart checked and all that, and the doctor said, medically, you look great, man, great, but the Holy Spirit told my dad, do an extra test, do the extra test. And my dad pushed for the extra test, he has an incredible doctor, and he did the extra test, found 85% blockage in the main artery, and they, they went in for uh, bypass surgery where they went in, and this is the craziest thing. It's like the doctor was in another room controlling a robot that went in and did the surgery. Like, that's insane, right? All right, back to the story. So um, after the surgery, I was surprised as a son. I'm sure you were surprised as well at the process it took for you to get back, right? The process of the journey of you healing. It wasn't like you had the surgery, bam, zippity-doo-dah, zippity -a. It was a process to get his color back. It was a process to get his energy back. It was a process to be able to walk those walks that you and mom have walked for all these decades. It's a process. And I'm here to share with you, pain from your past is a process to deal with the emotions that will spring up. You gotta face it, you gotta feel it, you gotta forgive it, and then face the regrets left behind by the past. Regrets, guilt, look in verse 21, they said to one another, in truth we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. This is why this distress has come upon us. The brothers were guilty. Now, guilt is more than emotion. Guilt is a condition. You are guilty, whether you feel it or not. You may not even feel guilty, but you are guilty. Guilty is a status between you and the Lord that I have sinned against God and it's not been dealt with. Therefore, I am guilty. I am guilty as charged before the Lord. Shame is the feeling of that guilt. And regret, its cousin, check it out, regret is grieving the resulting loss from those decisions made in the past. So you see the process of guilt, then shame, and then long-lasting regret. So we gotta face those regrets. Here the brothers are dealing with guilt, shame, and regret. 
And I want to talk to you about the way that you face your guilt is with God. Jesus went to the cross to deal with your guilt before God. And it is there to remove your shame. Christianity is not a perpetual state of shame. Shame is a temporary emotion to awaken you to the reality of your guilt, to be quickly resolved of with your Lord and move on from that shame. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Somebody with me. But we all have regrets. We all have regrets. And you can love Jesus and parent the very best you could. And you were, you were reading books. When I was coming up, it was baby wise. Baby wise. This is how you're wise with your baby. And parenting book this and parenting book that. And, and you can eventually, you've got to know. I'm, I'm going to help some of the young couples in here. Maybe some of y'all. You are, you are doing something wrong right now. Like, you're jacked up. And you're messing up your kids somehow, some way. I don't know how, but I live with, with a humility that somehow, some way, Susan and I are doing it wrong, okay? So we live with humility that we're always learning, right? Anybody with me on that? We have to be learning, right? We will have to face some regrets. I already face regrets. Sometimes I see family videos, me as a young man starting Keystone Church, incredible stress, and sometimes in the family videos, I was just a little too gruff. I'm like, I'm literally talking to myself on the family visit. I'm like, Brandon, why are you being that way, man? Come on. Dude, lighten up, dude. I'm like talking to me, right? I have regrets. Maybe you have regrets too. Regrets are a part of life. Regret comes from this. There are things, this is the way the Apostle Paul put it. There are things that I know I should do and I didn't do them. Regret. And there are things that I know I should have stayed away from and I went and did it. Regret. There's the regret of the missed opportunity of trusting God and you missed taking that leap of faith because of fear. And you have regret. And there's the regret over here of you not following Jesus in his ways, and you went down your own path, chasing your desires, and the result of that, you have some regrets. What do we do with these regrets as we wrap up today? A couple of thoughts. First John chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, if we have no sin, you're deceiving yourself, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Are you ready for this? Listen, if you have guilt and you feel guilty, that's not enough. It's not enough. Don't stay there. It's not enough for you to just feel guilty. Well, I feel guilty, so no. Confess your sin, we just read. God I have sinned against you. I feel the shame of that. Now, I agree with you, God. I agree that there was something that I should have done. I should have invited that person to church. I should have shared the faith. I should have, I should have made this decision for my family. I should have led them to be in church. I don't know. I should have spent the money more wisely. And I should have, I should have, I should have. It was the right thing to do. And I know that I sinned against you, God. And so, God, I agree with you that that is sin. That agreement is confession. 
I agree with you that I sinned. God, I agree with you that I was chasing my appetites. I agree with you that I was chasing my desires and I did what I should not do. I knew it was wrong yet I went to it anyway and I have deep regret. I agree, God, it was wrong. I agree with you, that is confession. Jesus Christ went to the cross for this conversation. For this conversation, he went to the cross. And now, how do I deal with regrets? Joel chapter two. Joel chapter two, the Bible says, be glad, O children of Zion, that's us. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for your abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. I speak this over you right now. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously for you. Let's give him praise on that promise. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. I will restore to you what you thought was gone and lost. We bow our heads and close our eyes. When I'm done and I've walked off the stage and the hosts have told you what's next and we've released for you to go to Keystone Unlocked. While you're walking out, while many are walking out of the room, we wanna do something for you. We wanna make something available to you. We will have our pastors, some of our pastors and prayer team come to the front of the room ready to pray with you as others are leaving for the great hall, guests to go to VIP. You could come forward, and while others are walking to lunch or wherever they're going, you could come forward and receive prayer, because I'm convinced some of us need a little moment to deal with what's been happening, deal with what's the pain of our past. But I, I have a, a strong leading from the Lord that while that will be offered at the end of the service, I believe somebody needs to feel surrounded right now. And what I would ask you to do is if you want to feel surrounded right now and you want people to pray for you right now, and we don't know what, what it is that we would be praying for. We, we can't imagine. And we would never try to figure that out on our own. As you stand knowing why you're standing, knowing why you are standing just between you and God. I'm gonna ask for the people of God to reach out, stretch their hand toward you and begin praying for you. And I know sometimes it just requires a physical leap of faith. And so I'd ask you, if you're saying, yeah, at the end we'll have people up here and you can come forward as everybody else leaves, but maybe right now you're feeling led by the Lord to stand to your feet and receive prayer and say, I need help from my past. Is there anybody in this service? We had so many in the last service. Would you stand right now? Yeah, and the riser, I see you there. Just stand to your feet. Yeah, yeah. Just stand to your feet all over the place. All over the place. Just stand to your feet. 
What did we just say? God will restore to you what has been taken by the locusts. Now, Keystone, would you look around and just start praying? Reach your hands out toward them and start praying for them. Just start praying wherever you are. Holy Spirit of God, we pray right now for these that are standing, God. You know why. God, we are in a house that, that we're not just trying to make it comfortable for everybody. Sometimes it needs to be uncomfortable. Father, I pray right now for, for the person on the very last row up in the risers. I pray for them. I stretch my hand toward you right now, God. And I, I pray, God, that you would touch their heart for the pain that they have, God. In this room, what is happening in our hearts that you would speak to us, that you would begin the process of healing and help. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Are you ready to celebrate, church? Amen. Let's celebrate those who stood for prayer. This is a healing house. Come on, let's celebrate those. Come on. This weekend's message reminds us that as we look at our past with God, we can embrace His perspective and have a hope for our future. If this message impacted your life in any way, you can share with your friends and family on social media and tag us at Keystone Church or with hashtag KSTN. We'll see you right back here next week.